Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Friday, March 5th, 2021. This is the Fight to Vote podcast. This is, uh, I, I just had to do this one this morning. I, uh, started this podcast on Monday. I said, I'll do you, I'll do two a week. I'll commit to that. And this is the fourth in five days that I've done because I, I'm fired up and I'm also, um, this is it. This is the moment in our country when we have a chance to change where we are, who we are and who are going to be. The fight for voting today is uh, vigorous, visceral, and uh, we have a lot to say about it. We have something to do about it. We're not passive. We are not sitting on the sidelines. We are the ability. We have the ability to, to do something and make a difference. That's where common power comes in. That's my own kind of world I'm in right now, which is we need to take action. Democracy is a verb. So last night in the Senate, the U.S. Senate, there was a maneuver, a a uh, action taken by a Senate Democrat that would make Lyndon Johnson proud. Lyndon Johnson, uh, revered, renowned for his maneuvers and work in the Senate back in the 1950s when he was majority leader. And uh, first of all, he was minority leader and then majority leader. So I want to talk about that maneuver that the Senate Dems did last night. Um, but it, it, it's, it tells me that they haven't come to mess around, that they're here to win, that they're, they're, they've learned from their niceties, and they're going to use every lever possible in the U.S. Senate to get shit done. So I'll tell you what it was, but you got to hang in there for a minute. Uh, because I'm a, I want to talk a little, I want to stop and pause like any good kind of movie or book. I want to stop and pause for a minute and, uh, give the, uh, give the, the context for this. So one of the most formative books for me as a citizen, as a human, as a professor, as a civic, um, uh, engaged, civically engaged person were the series of, it was actually a series of books by Robert Caro. Robert Caro, um, a historian, has written these unbelievable books about Lyndon Johnson. And they've come out over several decades. And he committed to writing this, this uh, series of books about Johnson's rise to power and then his presidency. And uh, the books trace Johnson's history from growing up in um, a small town in Texas called Johnson City, named after, uh, I believe, an uncle of his who had founded it or settled it, I should say, um, and his rise to power. And th these books are long, long, long books. They're like reading an encyclopedia. But I don't know. It was like 15 years ago, probably for me. I read them and I began to really, really understand how it is that power and action circulate at the highest levels of American politics. And this, and, and I learned about how a person can rise through the ranks and, um, manipulate for sure. Also maneuver 
and benefit from using acceptable levers of power and sometimes unacceptable ones. And um, they're just they're, they're 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 a series of books, and there's just so many stories within kind of Johnson's rise to power. And uh, I recommend reading them. They will take you a chunk of time, but they will also they're they're just compelling the way that Carol tells the story. And uh, Johnson was raised in a very poor family, and uh, his father goes off and serves in the state legislature in Texas, in Austin. And his mother is at home and she's, she's raising these kids and it's, they're just dirt poor and, uh, they don't have electricity. Nobody did in the area they lived in. And Johnson learned so much from that experience, took so much from that experience. Um, and his father eventually, um, it becomes ashamed for some practices in the, in the, in the, uh, legislature and Johnson learns he never wants to go through that kind of experience. And he also understands what it means to just improve people's lives in these um, very tangible, concrete ways and famously providing electricity as he does when he gets into the U S Congress, into the house where he's originally initially elected. He provides electricity back to that area, the hill country of Texas and they love them. They love them. Johnson uh, uh, absolutely wins a win, wins an absolutely fraudulent election in, in 1948. There's no question about it that votes were manufactured and uh, and just made out of whole cloth <coughs> to help him get elected. Uh, that's a story unto itself. But he becomes he enters the U.S. Senate in 1949. And becomes um, the lead, one of the, the uh, kind of leaders of the Southern Democrats, who are very racist white Southern Democrats, and he has to navigate that body of people with partnerships that he builds with Northern leaders. And he, he for, for example, builds his close friendship with Hubert Humphrey, the leader of the Northern uh, pro civil rights Democrats. And even though he, Johnson's a Southern Democrat. He builds this great relationship with Humphrey that will have enormous dividends in the Senate. And of course, Humphrey becomes his vice president in 1963 after Johnson takes over the presidency upon the tragedy with John F. Kennedy. The Southern Democrats know they can never get anybody to be president. And so they elevate Johnson to be the minority leader because they think he's the one who can take go to the hot and the promised land and maybe become president someday so they make him the youngest senate minority leader in the u.s history in the 19 early 1950s johnson learns how to make the senate work and then becomes majority leader in 19 i think 55 passes some landmark civil uh not uh yeah i mean a landmark civil act and civil rights act in 1957 that at the end of the day, when it gets, does get passed, it's not nearly as strong as it should have been. He, he gutted it, but he got it through. And there was a, a, it, it did create the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division. That's the most meaningful thing it did do. Um, but he got it through. He got, got it past the Southern Democrats because of who he was. And he then, of course, makes his way and becomes the vice president to John F. Kennedy and takes over the presidency. When you read Carol's books, 
the I think the third volume is Master of the Senate. That's the title of it. Master of the Senate. And it just lays out story after story, maneuver after maneuver that Johnson would use to get legislation passed, to block other legislation, to control uh, his membership through committee installations, through debate lengths of time, through uh, ordering of bills, through all kinds of maneuvers. He is the one who really, really creates the modern Senate as we know it. And, uh, and so it's, it's worth a read. And yesterday morning when, uh, it became apparent that the Senate was now taking up the COVID bill, that Ron Johnson, the, uh, horrible senator from Wisconsin was going to pull a maneuver to force the Senate clerk to read the whole COVID bill at the start of debate, which would take many hours. Uh, Michael Lee, who is a attorney and staff member, staff leader at the Brennan Center in New York University, Michael Lee said, I think it's time to read the first 100 pages of Master of the Senate again to kind of like dive back into the how do you pull the levers of power in the Senate. And I said, I chuckled and I thought, yeah, that's exactly right. Got to read and learn what Johnson, relearn what Johnson did and how he did it. So I'm almost getting to what happened last night. Um, My wife will often say, come on, come on. Your story's getting a little long, getting a little long. (laughs) I'll be like, yeah, but it's, I, I, I I love this story. I I, I don't want to rush it. I love this story. Um, What we have seen in the, five decades since Lyndon Johnson was master of the Senate is that the next person who understood and maneuvered and controlled the power, the levers of power in the Senate was a Republican. It's Mitch McConnell and Mitch McConnell has been the, the most, the most effective, um, strategic, powerful, cold blooded, uh, leader controller of the Senate since Johnson. And, uh, I, I despise McConnell for all the ways that he has used those levers to block democracy. But he has used levers that are at his disposal. That is what it is. That's the reality. And Democrats have been forever frustrated because they um, have not had as adept of a body of maneuvers and actions in the Senate. And they've been outmaneuvered by McConnell since McConnell became minority leader in 2007 and then became majority leader in 2015. The Dems have shown me time and time again that they want to, that they will not play uh, hardball. They will not make tougher choices. They will not cut out Republicans from debates when Republicans um, are acting in bad faith, not good faith. The Dems have shown me that they're not willing to, 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 to take the steps and the actions that are allowed in the U.S. Constitution, but are simply not collegial. They are not friendly. They are, they are difficult. They are, they, uh, they create enmity. Um, 
And so the Dems have fought with one hand behind their back on bills and have gotten bills blocked over and over and over again for immigration, on immigration reform, on gun safety, background checks, on voting rights, on uh, preventing violence against women, um, all kinds of bills on the, the new Equality Act that has been passed by the, the House that was passed previously under when McConnell was majority leader and the Senate wouldn't take up. There are things that can be done, maneuvers that cannot guarantee success in the Senate, but they are rules under the game of the Senate that can be utilized. And the Dems don't do them, and the Republicans do, and they control power. But maybe it's a new day. Maybe it's a new day. Maybe these Dems have come to win. I want to see it. I want to believe it, because it's going to take everything we've got with a 50-50 deadlocked Senate and some incredibly important legislation, of course, COVID, voting, Equality Act, infrastructure, climate change. So yesterday, the U.S. Senate voted to take up debate on the COVID bill. And the, the there is you know, a vote to even begin debate, to begin debate on bills. Um, and if that vote doesn't pass, then the debate on the bill doesn't happen. And this is how uh, Senate majority parties control debate in the Senate. Well, yesterday, that debate on the COVID bill, a bill to help millions and millions, hundreds of millions of Americans, was deadlocked 50-50 because no Republican, not a single one, even wanted to begin debate on the bill. But that vote was deadlocked. I mean, it was uh, broken by the vice president, our awesome rock star, pioneer, historic, greatest ever, maybe. Now, how do we don't know yet? It's way too early, but certainly excited for her, vice president Kamala Harris. She broke it. 5150 is the vote. Debate moves forward. First thing that happens in the Senate when debate begins on anything is, um, there is a unanimous consent request to open, to begin things. And this is how the Senate works. You ask for unanimous consent and any single person can block something and it doesn't forever block it in most cases, but it delays things. Sometimes it forever blocks, but it delays. And the first thing that happened yesterday when the debate began is that Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin uh, objected to moving forward on the debate. And he said, um, I will withdraw my objection if, if the Senate, the uh, COVID bill is read in its entirety by the Senate clerk. That's the first thing I want. Then I'll allow debate to move forward. Um, it was seconded by another Republican because it's gotta be a second for something, for a motion, and thus it needed to be done. So the Senate clerks began to read the COVID bill. And it ended up taking more than 10 hours to read the COVID bill. Small amount of time in the scope of the world and life, but a statement by the Senate uh, Republicans about how they're going to get fight, how they're going to block, they're going to obstruct, they're going to do everything possible. 
absolutely infuriating and annoying the way that they don't want to help the American public, and Ron Johnson symbolizes that more than anybody. The bill gets read for 10 hours, and in order for it to be read, Johnson has to stay in the chamber, because if he leaves the chamber, then the, the, uh, there can be an ask of the Senate um, chair at the time, whoever's sitting and running the Senate, and that just rotates among people all the time. They have to follow the, the, they have to follow what the parliamentarian the position in the Senate tells them to do. So if Johnson leaves the Senate during the reading of the bill, the uh, chair can say, um, is there unanimous consent to end this reading? And only the person who had passed the motion can, can block again. Otherwise, you can move forward. And so Johnson has to stay. Stays the whole time. This is classic Lyndon Johnson. Same same last name. I just just thinking right now. Ron Johnson, Lyndon Johnson, but he's no Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson, of course, becomes horrible in all kinds of ways around the Vietnam War. But on civil rights, on some justice things, his growth as a president amazing. Um, Ron Johnson sticks around for the the whole reading, and they have to do all. All of it. it takes ten and a half hours to read it. It's all done. People leave the chamber. There's nobody, hardly anybody there um, in the chamber because who's going to listen to the reading of the bill for ten hours in the middle of the night? The bill's done early this morning, and everybody leave. I mean, Johnson leaves. That one or two other people in the chamber who are senators, leave. And there's just the Senate chair, whoever's running the Senate at the time, and I don't know who that was, and Chris Van Hollen, who is a senator from Maryland, a Democratic senator from Maryland. And Chris Van Hollen says, I ask for unanimous consent to reduce debate to begin, no, sorry. He yeah, says, I ask for unanimous dissent to begin the order of business tomorrow at 9 a.m. and to debate for three hours on the COVID bill. Now, you see, the, the Senate leadership, Schumer and McConnell, had already agreed to 20 hours of debate on the Senate bill, 20 hours. But Ben Holland asked for unanimous consent to go for three hours instead of 20 hours. And there's no one in the chamber to object. Johnson has left. There's no other Republicans there. And so there's no objection. And the unanimous consent goes through. And we just go from 20 hours to three hours of debate on the COVID bill. I would prefer there be tons of debate. But if the set, if the Republicans are going to pull this crap, then the Democrats need to pull, they need to pull the levers of power in their side. So today we wake up and there are only three hours of debate on the COVID bill for a debate that the Republicans are not acting in good faith on. They don't have any intention to, to, to vote for this bill. And we are going to charge ahead. All right. I am all for using every rule within the playbook. All right. This is what it's come to. 
There's nothing illegal about this, nothing unethical about that. What Lyndon Johnson realized is that there are so many things you can do and you require your opponents to be vigilant about everything. And if they make a mistake and they leave the door ajar, then you drive through it. And last night, Chris Van Hollen said, Democrats, we are here to win this. We are going to get this done. So I wake up and I'm fired up because I see it and I say, all right, all right, all right, all right. Ron Johnson, you play your, you make your chess move. And in response, Chris Van Hollen makes his chess move. Senate Dems ready to go. There's no way Van Hollen does that without the approval of the Senate Majority Leader of his own party, Chuck Schumer. Those tells you that Senate Dems are here to play or to not play. I'm not sure what the exact phrase is, but it tells me they're, they're here to be serious. All right. That's what it's going to take to pass this bill, to pass voting rights legislation, climate change, police reform, gun safety, Equality Act, all these things. Still, it's going to be an incredible uphill battle, but I'm glad to say, see that every move is on, is available on the chessboard for the Democrats. All right. That's the fight to vote this morning. Let's go, folks. Two great lectures coming up on Monday and Tuesday on the new lost cause about how it is that the big lie today stretches all the way back to the post-Civil War era today around racism and voting. Have a good day, everybody. Let's go.